we're back. We're back. It's a distraction. I'm through. That's Roth. How you doing, Roth? I'm good, man. How are you? How's your Super Bowl? Well, you, you sound so pumped for Super Bowl week. I just can't even. I can't even describe it. It's well, just... my doctor said I was too pumped, and I had to do something because if I stayed at that level of being pumped, it would put my health at risk. Yes, it, you're, you are too ready for football, and we're so ready for football, yeah. we have to get right to our guest. Our guest this week, it's oh Matthew Collar, who is coming to us live from Radio Row in Vegas. Matthew is the editor-in-chief of Purple Insider. He's the author of Football is, is a Numbers Game, which is a history of pro football focus, but really a history of the entire analytics movement in football. And he is also the human being that I text the most, even more so than my wife. How you doing, Matthew? <laughs> <laughs> I am good, and my wife wants to know why you text me so much. So <laughs> it's because we're secret lovers. Uh, you know, I, th- I think it's time I said it. no. I, I, the, the thing is that it's just I my my weird friend texting me about T.J. Hawkinson again. Yep. Yeah. It's like it, it's awful because I, and this I swear this is the the last I'll talk about my team uh, for this. But like I will text, I text Collar like I'll pop a gummy. It'll be nine p.m. and I text Collar like, okay, the first play of the season. It's Kenny Wong Wu on a wheel route way downfield. We're gonna make a statement, and he's like, "Yeah, yeah." yeah. He's like, <laughs> and I can I know that Collar's like true stone, but he's he's always very very <laughs> nice about it. And then like once every like three months, I'll be like, "Oh yeah, how's your wife?" <laughs> so anyway, Collar, uh, you are on Radio Row right now. What's what's the vibe? How is it in Vegas? Does it does it smell crazy in there? Ooh. Uh, no, it smells fine. Um, I'm actually right, standing good. next to something called the Bounty House, which is a contraption that um, it's not made of bounty towels, but uh, you can th- you can throw a bounty towel into a hole like a football. And also they have a video screen that turns your head into a bounty towel when you walk by it. So every time you walk by, you see your head as a bounty towel. There's three slot machines exactly three set up in the middle of the room that no one has used. Yeah. They're just randomly three (laughs) slot machines. And that's the only Vegas element inside of this convention center is these one, two, three slot machines and they have football slot related things, but I haven't seen anyone use them because it's sort of awkward. I think for people to be like, using the slot machines when they're supposed to be working on radio row, or there's like a hundred casinos that would be a better place to do something of that nature. So they're just sort of sitting there and like rotating through whatever their video is. Uh, but it is a completely normal and uneventful radio row. I mean, I, there's football people walking around and like my mom was texting me. She's like, it must be very exciting there. I'm like, uh, yeah, I mean, I sure. Like if you think it is, uh, my taxi driver asked if I was a celebrity, as I, she was like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm promoting a book. She's like, what? Do, do you like sign autographs? Like, no. Well, do people recognize you? Well, not really. There's a lot more recognizable people here. I, I think Actually, I'm Travis Kelsey. Yeah. Well, I want to, you know, I yep. thought about like, maybe I should, you know, tell her that I'm somebody very important, but so she could tell other people. But I just, you know, it, it's a bunch of white people sitting around talking about football. Like, I don't know. It's, it's not that special. I like that you basically were one visor away from being like, yes, I'm Tristan Belichick. And I'm here. <laughs> yeah, <right>. Like <laughs> that's I know about the uh the slot machine because I do on Tuesdays I talk to um Tyler and Ed on ESPN Las Vegas, uh, who are on Radio Row right with you. And they were describing it to me uh, just a few minutes ago when I was on with them. And the thing that they pointed out is that no money comes out of it. It's just a it's a visual noise machine for you to look at. And it's just like, you know, NFL logos going by. So, like, maybe you get three different Bengals helmets, but that's what you get. 
Like you don't receive a prize if you pull the lever and that happens. It's yeah, right. And uh, I was sitting at a table trying to work on my laptop and they were giving out pins and people thought that I was like the commander of the pins. So they kept asking me like, <laughs> may I have a pin? And I was like, I don't work here. I don't like, I'm just, I'm just trying to tweet or whatever. Oh, so yeah, yeah. Like, no, ma'am, you may not have that pin and you yeah. walk away and shame uh but yeah i mean it's kind of funny because like you'll just be wandering around and then brian billick walks by and you're like oh brian billick so i was on with ed mccaffrey yesterday and i said to ed mccaffrey wow. i was like hey where's byron chamberlain and howard griffith and he was like do you know them <laughs> i was like no if they <laughs> like and, and so i was like this is awesome i had a super awkward moment with ed mccaffrey and then gave him a book like that's that's what it's worth it's just worth the like random people you run into there's actually no real reason to be here other than to kind of say that you were here. So I'm here and I'm telling you guys I'm here. I like that. You weren't just remembering guys. You were actively trying to enlist the father of Christian McCaffrey into finding guys and, yeah. and looking you know, like, here, look. well, honestly though, that's a good question to ask during this period of time. Like if you go in there and you're just sort of, you have to go in with an abundance mindset. You have to assume that a bunch of fantasy ownable tight ends from 10 or 12 years ago are in the building somewhere. Yeah. You like, can have like you a don't scavenger ask, hunt for Tom Rathman. It would be fucking great. Yeah. <laughs> exciting. So the idea of this bit has occasionally worked for me of just when I meet a former player naming someone super random from their team. So I was interviewing a guy from the Patriots once and I was like man how great was Sam Gash and the guy lost his mind he was like he was the <laughs> best man in my wedding Sam Gash is the greatest person I've ever known and I was oh like my God. me too I love him like you know I, just, like, yeah. I don't know and then I've sometimes I've never met him uh, yeah. but <laughs> dude that's great and, and a great player with an absolutely filthy name it was great Oh, yeah. I mean, that's a fullback, right? So that usually if you bring up the fullback. Now, luckily, Howard Griffith works for the same company as my wife, which is super random, but like they both work for Big Ten Network. So I was like, oh, well, I sort of know Howard Griffith because he works with my wife. And he was like, oh, and I was like, oh, and they're like, do you want to talk about cool. my book? Cool story, bro. <laughs> I have two questions for you about the bounty house before we talk yeah. about actual football, Matthew. All right. First of all, if I if I place a perfect spiral of paper towels through the hole. Do I get uh, a $500 college scholarship from Dr. Pepper? Um, yeah, oh, that's a, yeah, that's a good connection there. Um, you know, I haven't seen what you win because I haven't seen anyone actually trying it. Um, oh. it's like, that's, I know that's what they're doing, but I haven't like stood near it to watch how people are doing it. I would say this though. Um, I don't know that you could throw a perfect spiral with a paper towel roll. Like Donald I, Trump I mean, did it in Puerto Rico, so oh, I that's right. With you. Yeah, that's but right. But I asked about I asked about this, Drew, on the radio. It's apparently it's a different thing. It's more of a football throw from behind the ear, and less of the Trump thing where he was putting up like just lofting Clay Thompson style jumpers into a crowd of immiserated people that he was not <laughs> otherwise going to do anything to help. It reminds me of but this I, was something I don't, I don't know if you remember this Roth, but my brother and I used to laugh because McDonald's used to have a TV ad. This is like in the eighties or nineties where they would say like, oh, have your birthday, have your kid's birthday party at McDonald's. And they're like, there's food, there's fun and games for the kids. And the fun and games were, they had an empty soda cup in the middle of the table and the kids were trying to throw McDonald's straws into it. And we were like, <laughs> that is the saddest fucking birthday game that I've ever fucking seen. That's also like, that's a game that you would make up if there was just McDonald's shit lying yep. around. Like that doesn't, you don't get extra points for that where you're just sort of like, you can do the, th try to put a ketchup pass, uh, a little packet in the garbage or something. Yeah. I don't know. Spin the nugget. Like what are, 
Uh, <laughs> one other question about the bounty house. Is Greg Williams presiding over the bounty house? Oh, wow. Yeah, that's <laughs> a good you. one. Good. That's a good Thank one. You. Yeah, I think uh, he's probably banned from the premises. I, okay. just, I just assume Greg Williams is a guy who's banned from stuff. That's a separate Las Vegas thing. Like, he's the first guy banned from the sphere. <laughs> um, Matthew, I'm almost finished with your book, and I, I like it a great deal. And you cover how NFL teams both discovered analytics and after a period of predictable entrenchment from them, uh, they adopted analytics. But how much further do these teams have to go? We, you can talk about the Niners and Chiefs in this regard, too. But I, I just want to know, have we even come close to reaching peak analytics in the NFL? Yeah, so uh, the analytics adoption really only starts with the Philadelphia Eagles winning the Super Bowl in 2017 uh, by going for it on fourth down a bunch of times. And uh, someone told me in the book, maybe it was Kevin Clark, that uh, who has been kind of covering the analytics in football for a long time, that GMs and people in the league started to reach out to him to tell him that they were using analytics. Like GMs all of a sudden wanted to have people know after that because the Eagles winning the Super Bowl put it in the forefront. They used an analytics company uh, for fourth downs. They used PFF to game plan uh, and picked out the Super Bowl winning play, which is the cover of my book, uh, using PFF data. And I think around the league, they need to see it work. Like that always is how it works. When people say copycat league, it's like once they see something work, it's like, wait, are we doing that? And owners call GMs and coaches and go, are we doing that? They went forward and fourth down. Are we doing that? And, uh, and I, and I think that that started to put a lot of pressure on people to seem like they were being Eaglesy. And, uh, at the same time, like PFF was developing things that coaches could use to tie data to film, to track route combinations, coverages, and all those things that the, these coaches had done by hand before, but then it sped up the process. And then data science started to become a thing as well, because, once PFF gathered all the data, then we could analyze it. So you can see like what positions grades have the most correlation from year to year or, uh, you know, uh, how much a, a quarterback's grade correlates to whether you won the football game or not. And there's like a hundred different versions of that, which quarterbacks throw the best when they're on the move, which, you know, a bunch of different stuff like that. So we've just gotten to the data science part of it. And now we're getting the uh, data from the NFL next gen stats, the tracking stuff. And what they're trying to figure out is what the hell all of it means. So just for example, at, at the senior bowl, they strapped people up with trackers and they discovered that one guy from North Carolina was the fastest dude. He ran the fastest, had the peak fastest speed, Cover the most ground the fastest. He also dropped every single pass at the Senior Bowl. So like it was like, <laughs> oh, ironic, wow, like Kadarius Tony. Congratulations. Yes. Well, well, it's, exactly. it's too bad that Al Davis isn't still alive. <laughs> right, right. That man. <laughs> and the first overall pick goes to uh Tez right. Walker from North Carolina. But uh the so the question is like what what does that mean though? Like so now we have better looks at actual game speed which is not a 40 yard dash. The 40 yard dash is totally pointless at this point if we could just strap up dudes and see how exactly fast they're running. And yet at the same time, what does that does that matter? Like if he's Troy Williamson, sorry Drew, and he just drops sorry. every pass, does it <laughs> right. really 
does it really matter that he's the fastest? Uh, you know, and so that that was always a thing where people would say, like, did you know Jerry Rice did not run a fast forty? They'd be like, yeah, I've heard that. Uh, but you know, play speed versus you know forty time is significant, probably in its difference, and that's like one tiny micro example of how they are just being flooded now with data, and what we're seeing is that teams are starting to hire a bunch of analytics people, not just so they can like analytics the football and win all the games and whatever, but to even understand what they have on their hands and to be able to study it and see like how actually can we apply this? Because over the years, they figured out how to apply PFF's data. And the Vikings general manager, Kwesi Adafo-Mensa, told me that they used it as a comparative tool. So how are our coaches grading players versus how PFF was grading players? And Kwesi used it in the draft to get ahead in San Francisco when he was in their front office to look at college data and try to figure out, and he can do data science and like try to figure figure out like what statistics that college players have end up correlating to which guys are successful. And so now with this mountain of tracker data that's being dropped on them, they need to figure out how to deal with it. It reminds me very much of baseball where early on it was like, don't bunt. And then eventually these were like, oh my gosh, we've got this thing where we don't bunt. And that's where we're at like right now. And they're about to get stat cast where you know the spin rate of every single uh, baseball that's thrown and, and all the crazy stuff. So we are, I think, still years away from truly understanding how this works and seeing it impact the game in some significant way. This is interesting to me as a baseball fan because I, I think that's very well said and it all really like resonated with me. I'm, I'm sure your book is very good. I have not read it, but Drew has said good things. It is true. But the the bit that you pointed out where everybody has all this data now, but there is this still a very widespread in whether they actually know what to do with it, that there was like in baseball, there's all, you know, everybody has like you can get handed a piece of paper that has launch angle or something on it. But if you don't know what that means and if you're not able to view it in context, then it's not just not useful. Like it can actively fuck you up. Like it'll be like a a sort of information that'll drag you too far in one direction or another. Do you get the sense that like where in the process of teams learning to kind of contextualize or see all of this as one integrated thing? Like, where are we like in, in terms of like from the stone age to the bronze age, like where would you put the league or like the better teams, I guess at this point? Yeah. Let me try a different metaphor. Um, I think that they are, at the point where they're starting to climb out of the crib, like they're, it is, it's, it's not childhood yet or nowhere near being a teenager. It's like, but they're not an infant. So they've started to hire data people. And you're seeing, if you follow Seth Walder from ESPN, he posts like the data people that work for teams and he'll post it in like one screen grab. And the screen grab used to be very easily readable because the names could be written large. And now he's had to make them all very tiny because these uh, analytics departments are growing and growing. But as far as what the analytics department actually is doing is really up to the team. So it's like how analytics is football. And it's like, well, you're, there's 32 buildings and every single one of these buildings are weighing it differently and understanding it differently. Like you might have a seat at the table is the way I would put it right now. Like if people think that Dan Campbell went for fourth down and all of a sudden the NFL is about to go analytics woke or something like we're not, that's not like what's happening. I like that. So it's like, it's like, What's happening more is 
when they're having meetings and making determinations about what you're going to do with a player, a general direction, a draft, all those things, that now the analytics person has a seat at the table and a significant voice in a lot of buildings, but that's not in every building. But I think we're going to get there like baseball, where it will be every building. And I think that that voice will grow louder, but you can also never remove the scouting part from it. Now, where what I found was right. very interesting is one of the PFF people who's a really tremendous data scientist, uh, a Minnesotan, uh, Eric Eager, he's studied actual scouting reports. So what the scouts wrote about players and then looked for like making word cloud types of things and what in those scouting reports correlated to the success of certain players and whose scouting reports read similarly based on certain words that football people use. So they're even trying to data eyes the scouting process to understand even their own scouting reports better. And what I would say right now, everyone's basically doing is just trying stuff like the New York mm. jets. When they drafted Zach Wilson, one of the things that got brought up in their draft video was completion percentage over expected. Now, personally, I don't really fully understand how to use it like in an actionable way, okay. uh, but it has correlated somewhat to some success as far as winning games in the NFL. And as far as college quarterbacks who have worked out now, Zach Wilson was a disaster though, because it seemed like he didn't want to like watch tape before the game. Mm. And Too so like, this say. is the, the challenge that they're always going to face is with football. There's injuries that happen constantly. There's context. There's circumstance. There's you can make all the right moves as a front office, hire the wrong coach, and Josh McDaniels ruins your life. I mean, so like ah. all these things. So <laughs> trying to be on the outside and say, well, this team is doing analytics correctly, I think is much more difficult than baseball, where you could just be like, oh, look at the OBPs of these guys, right? So I, I think, I think even understanding which teams we should give credit to analytics for is really, really tough. Plus. Uh, you know, teams like to not tell you everything. So Bill Belichick says, I don't read my face analytics. And you're like, well, Bill, I think you hired some like MIT people uh, before everybody else did way back in the day. So things are, things are uh, very still even investigating this and writing a book about it. Still kind of murky about how each team uses them. The one thing that, uh, that stuck with me when I was reading the book <clears throat> was it was, there was a moment and you can you can correct me on the details, but uh, when PFF was sort of one of the things that helped it get entrenched with nearly every NFL team was that they not only were able to you know to have to put a database together of all these advanced stats, but also to match them with video. And so, if a coach wanted to look up, you know, how an opponent historically uh, had run, you know, X formation in X situation blah, blah, blah. They could just type it in and boom, they have all the plays right there. As opposed to in the past when they would have to watch entire games and pull out, you know, and like look for those, those plays by hand. And so I'm thinking about the number of fucking man hours wasted by some poor schmuck working for like Joe Gibbs, working with like a, a fucking tape deck in the bowels of a shitty ass, you know, Washington, uh, you know, practice facility for hours like late into the night just to find a you know one fucking like trips play and i'm thinking like oh my god this could make coaches lives so much easier right in theory us they'll still work 100 hour weeks but i, I was I, I was marveling at that uh let me ask you how it applies in terms 
of this game? Where do the Niners and the Chiefs rank in terms of, or not rank, but do you, do you have a good idea of what their processes are and how they use research um, in against their opponents? Yeah, no, I mean, that's uh, a thing that has really changed the game that PFF did with was. So I like to make a comparison to chess because I like chess a lot and I follow high level chess like all football men do. Uh, And but the, the thing about the highest level of chess is that computers have largely solved chess. So what it comes down to is how you use a computer to prepare against your opponent. So the opponent knows all the computer moves and you know all the computer moves. But how can you find a slight edge within that something creative, something different that your opponent has not prepared for? And I think that football is the same exact way. I know your data. You know my data. I know all of your tendencies. You know all of my tendencies. So what can I do that breaks a tendency that will have you unprepared? So just something that a team might do would be, let's say that they always run 11 personnel, three wide receivers all the time. It's all they ever run. And then they come out in the Super Bowl with two tight ends and they run an entire drive with two tight ends. The opponent has not prepared for two tight ends at all. They haven't got a a personnel package for it. They don't know what to do. And if you score on that drive, like the, the difference between the best scoring team and the 12th best scoring team is like three points a game. Like if you can get just that little edge, that one drive, that one play that is going to manipulate or take advantage of what your opponent has not used all the film and data to compare uh, to prepare for, then you could get an edge. And so, you know, this might be, I mean, who knows with, with these two teams, because you try to do the things that you're really good at, right? So like the 49ers are going to throw the ball short to Debo Samuel. Everyone knows that, but who, who are they going to throw to? Like, is Ray Ray McLeod on this team? Like, are we going to get like some trick play to Ray Ray McLeod that is, un, you know, like that sort of thing. So uh, the other thing that is very hard about football, and this is not profound, is that one team has the greatest quarterback ever. And <laughs> like, so when you talk about all the prep, all the data and everything else, the, the Chiefs numbers for the year. Not that impressive. I think they were like 11th in scoring. They're just okay. Like they don't match up with historical markers of teams that win the Super Bowl, but I don't care. I'd still pick the Chiefs because they have that guy. And that's what, that's what makes everything like interesting is. Oh, you weren't talking about Brock Purdy. Yeah, I was not talking about Brock Purdy. All right. This is making Ah. more sense now. Okay. Um, as a Midwesterner, <laughs> I have to defend Brock Purdy. I think. Um, no, I bet as, everybody at this point, it's stupid to be mad at Brock. Yeah, Purdy. I don't. I, I don't think you have go. to. I think everyone's like, yeah, he's he's good. It, it is really, also funny how, you know, knowing football people, how analytics levels the playing field so much that you can bring it back to. Well, the difference is, you know, we just—it's the team that hits you in the mouth that's going to win. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, right. And and you know what? That's usually true. Like yeah, if, if, if like, Kansas like if Kansas City can run the ball, there's absolutely no stopping them. Right? right. And so a lot of times it does come down to is my football team better than your football team in total talent? And because Andy Reid versus Kyle Shanahan, there's no difference there. I mean, those are two of the greatest coaches ever and with two completely stacked teams. But I think that one thing to look at is like the team building and how they've actually taken a little different approaches, which is fascinating. And I don't know where analytics fits in all this, but like San Francisco traded for a running back which 99 times out of 100 would be the dumbest thing that anyone has ever done uh, as much as they traded for. But they traded for this particular human being 
And they traded in a position where the rest of the roster was ready to win the Super Bowl. And they needed one person who could be dynamic in this role. So sometimes San Francisco has a very analytics-y front office that has got a seat at that table. That's where Kwesi Adolfo Mensah came from. And, and they're a part of that decision-making process. And I'm sure that some analytics person said, are you sure you want to trade for a running back? Like, we've made we've made uh, Raheem Mostert look awesome. Like, what are we doing here? And then the guy shows up and you go, okay, I see how he fits. I see like 99 times out of 100, but the 1%. So that's a, a real a real difficulty for decision makers is understanding when to go against the analytics, right? right. Like when, when to say, you know what? Though, like I know that the numbers say don't do this, but we're going to do this. And on Kansas City's uh, side, they did something very clever in moving on from their superstar wide receiver and trying to build around Mahomes through the draft. But then there's the luck element. Like, are they good at drafting or did they just luck into maybe a cornerback that the Vikings didn't take because they traded out of a spot, right? And he's so they've hit. He's very good, Trent McDuffie. He's very, very good. But their two drafts before that were not good. So like same people making the drafts. And that's the thing about football is you can never remove, even as everybody tries and strives to understand it fully, you can never remove the randomness element that has helped both of these teams end up being here. What I think is interesting is when uh, the Lions lost uh, the NFC title game to the Niners, you know, they lost because they, and it's not because, but Dan Campbell attempted a few fourth downs in very Dan Campbell fashion. And they weren't, they weren't dumb. They weren't reckless. They were smart fourth down decisions. They just didn't happen to execute them. But when they failed, I, what I heard a lot, and this was not, sometimes this was from pros, but this is also just like from, you know, online and stuff like that. People saying, Yutzes. well, look, you can do that in the regular season, but in the playoffs, you have to be more guarded and you have to take the points where you can get them. And I was wondering if that's true. If if the playoff, if the stakes of the playoffs change how those, uh, you know, and because the playoffs are a small sample size, if that changes how those strategies need to be employed. Because my, my thought was you can't, and I think I said this last week, you can't go into a playoff game if you're Dan Campbell and suddenly not coach like Dan Campbell because then your players are going to be like, what the fuck? Well, also, I mean, you're still an underdog in the game. You're the less talented team. And I think Dan Campbell thought if we kick a field goal here and do something that I've never done all season long and blow it, I'm going to regret that. And right. they also probably understood that their offense was cooking. Like their offense was rolling in that game and they got a receiver wide open and Ed McCaffrey would have caught it, but Josh Reynolds didn't. Yeah. So like that's... I mean, that's just like it, that's and that's the hard part, right, is that you could do everything analytically correct and then still F up and completely blow the game. And, you know, you could talk about momentum or whatever. I think if anything killed it, it was probably when they fumbled. That's when they felt like, oh, we were, were really falling apart because they had failed on fourth downs throughout the season. I don't think that playoff football is much different than regular football. In fact, if you look uh, at Patrick Mahomes statistics in the playoffs, they're like exactly the same as they are in the regular season, even though he's facing a little more challenging yeah, competition. They're, they're, they're fucking deranged. I, but I I'm a, I always think that when coaches do not play differently to their opponent, like if you don't recognize that you're the underdog here and you need to be more aggressive, then you're making a mistake. And like I, Dan Campbell got him there by doing that. Overall, the analytics are very favorable to his decision-making throughout the season. So I don't see any reason not to do that. And also, by the way, Kansas City did the same thing earlier in the day. 
they converted the fourth down. Nobody ever talked about it again. Yep. So it's like a lot of times we have to be careful about how we reverse engineer stuff after we know the results, whether that goes for, you know, oh, analytics made that draft pick and he didn't work out. Like, well, but if we did it a thousand times, the thing with football is we never get to do it a thousand times. And it's that's what's harder than I think a sport like baseball or basketball is the sample sizes are so much smaller and most decision makers don't get a thousand chances to get it right. No, I, I think that's really good. Okay, I know you have to go. You have a hard out. I think you have to go be interviewed by Mark Schillereth about like stink sauce or something like that. But uh, before you go, I do want to ask, who's your pick for the game, Matthew? Uh, they're literally calling me right now. So I'm just going to say, and then I'm going to go, I think Kansas City will win because Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback. Okay. And now I got to go. All right, you're brilliant. Hey, thank you so much, Matthew, for coming on. The book is Football is a Numbers Game. The site is Purple Insider. It's the one I read Every day, all the time. Matthew Collar, you're the best. Thank you so much. And uh, we're going to do a break and then come back with a fun bag. But before we cut to the break, Bareback Sportsbook has you covered. Or should I say uncovered for the Super Bowl? Get in on their cock of the walk teaser and you'll get $300 in bonus bets with any bet of $1,000 or more. Bareback Sportsbook. Risk for her pleasure. We'll be right back. Distraction is sponsored by Factor. Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals make eating better every day easy. Wherever tomorrow takes you, be ready with pre-prepared, chef-crafted, and dietitian approved meals delivered right to your door. You'll have over 35 different options a week to choose from, including keto, calorie smart, vegan and veggie, and more. And there's even more to enjoy with over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons that help make your weekly meal planning even more delicious. There's two-minute meals you can fuel up with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat wherever you are. There's snacks and smoothies and more. A wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, upscale options done easily. And it's flexible for your schedule. You can get as much or as little as you need by choosing 6 to 18 meals per week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. So head to factormeals.com slash distraction50 and use code distraction50 to get 50% off. That's code distraction50 at factormeals.com slash distraction50 to get your 50% off. It's David. Everyone wants something to cover their torso, but it can be hard to figure out what's best. Or maybe you've decided options like a platinum chainmail vest are just too expensive for you. Fortunately, the distraction is here to help. We've partnered with our friends at the Defector Store to bring you the Distraction T-Shirt. T-Shirt is perfect for covering your torso. Ours is 100% cotton, printed by a union co-op, and made in the USA. There's an added bonus, too. It comes with two short sleeves to put your arms through. Hence the name. The shirt's shaped like a T. I think it's pretty clever. And there's one more bonus. The Distraction T-Shirt features a design inspired by auto racing, courtesy of Jimmy D'Onofrio. You can buy that shirt at DefectorStore.com. That's DefectorStore.com. That's DefectorStore.com. That's Defector... Uh, the Distraction T-shirt. Try it on your torso. And we're back. We don't have Matthew Collar with us anymore, but that's okay because oh, finally, Matthew, Jesus yeah, I don't think Collar would have. Thanks for teaching me everything about football. Uh, but, you know what? Yeah, 
It was an awful lot of football talk. Just maybe it's under- about maybe it's about smashing people's mouths. Maybe that's what football's about. Maybe that's a whole other uh, you know counterpoint that we can uh, advance in the last. He's really smart, man. Thank you for bringing him on. That was good. Yeah, yeah. We got we got him again. One month for the draft. We have voicemails to go through from readers. Let's uh, let's hear a few of them. Eric, roll that beautiful bean footage. Hello, gentlemen. This is Leonard Pierce calling you from Chicago. I have a question. What sport has the most pointing? I believe it's baseball. Uh, somebody is pointing on pretty much every at-bat in every game, and that's a lot of games. It has been suggested to me that it may be something like cheerleading, where the pointing is part of the actual competition. But I think that, again, given the sheer numbers of baseball games and the amount of pointing that goes on in it, that may be the right answer. But I'm not sure. So I put it to you. Where am I going to see the most people pointing per competition? Thank you, gentlemen. That's a good question, Roth. Shout out to Leonard Pierce, beloved film critic Leonard Pierce. Uh, appreciate that. Um, that is, do you have an answer off the top of your head for this, Drew? I, you know, it's the football bias in me because whenever I, I think of pointing in sports, I think you have a, a quarterback orchestrating shit the line of scrimmage and like that was my first thought too like Peyton Manning you point at the mic and then you say that's the yeah yeah yeah. that's like that's the thing you do like Peyton Manning pointed all the time like that's all he did he would flap his arms and then he would point and like the center has Mm. to point because he has to he has to coordinate protections and all that stuff but that's just like a couple players you know so is that the same as baseball guys pointing out oh you go there or or basketball players like pointing at the crowd There's a lot of that in basketball too i think yeah i my so my first thought was football as well um i also just want to to correct the record peyton manning also breathed through his mouth i think that there's you can't say that the only thing he did was point no no no. Uh, he, he also was he did other shit too. yeah but um the <laughs> those mostly that though uh but yeah, like I think of football as there's a lot of like indicating and like suggesting. In basketball, there's some of that, but there's just fewer people involved in it. And I think also we might be sort of leaving the era of like I associate pointing in basketball with like James Harden has been dribbling the ball for 18 seconds right. and now he would like to indicate to a teammate that they should go run to the block so that he can dribble for another two seconds and take a three-pointer. I think that basketball is broadly trending away from that style of it. So like pointing is on the decline in basketball, probably holding steady in baseball, maybe at an all-time high in football as uh, it gets more complicated. But then there are these other sports. Like cheerleading is like, 60% pointing, right? And then the rest of it is just ice cold cheerleading. Like that's pretty much I feel like that's a, a good answer as far as these things. There's very little in hockey. Also, we're not factoring in coaches because if you're factoring in coaches, buddy, oh. basketball coaches, they like to point. Yep. So much of that. They like to point. They like to wander onto the floor. Mm-hmm. They like to sweat through dress shirts. That that's a lot of these are different metrics, and that's not what Leonard asked about. He didn't say which sports coaches sweat through Joseph A. Bank dress shirts the most. No. We all know the answer to that. But yeah, that's a, this is an interesting one. I want to say football. I'm going to say football, but I am prepared to be proven wrong. Um, obviously, hop in the comments or send us a whatever email telling us. Yeah, I feel, I feel like there's some other, um, I don't think soccer, like I feel like I'm, I'm missing out on like some Olympic sport or some niche sport that has a lot of pointing in it, but I can't think of that right now. And like gymnastics, like a floor routine, maybe a point, but that's not 
it's not a matter of routine. Yeah, for the most part, that's gymnastics has the most um, raising your arms triumphantly above your head while smiling bravely. And I don't even know what's second there, but that's not the question. Also, if I'm holding a pom-pom while I'm sticking my arm out, am I pointing? If I'm pointing a pom-pom at somebody, does that? That's a fair, that's I don't a fair know. question. I don't know. All right, let's, uh, let's get to the next voicemail. Hi, everyone. My question is, this is Adam in Minneapolis. My question is about Brock Purdy's mom and how I get some real Moms for Liberty vibes from her. And I'm wondering if it's possible for an athlete's spouse or parents or whatever to be famous for good reasons or if they're all basically just Kelly Stafford. And is it incredibly unfair for me to say that I'm getting some real Moms for Liberty vibes from uh, mom Purdy. Thank you. So I think we, we have heard from, it was either readers or somebody that, that Brock Purdy is, uh, no stranger to the evangelical Christian movement. And, uh, like I, I would not be surprised if his mom had some, some rather conservative views about, uh, social justice issues, Roth. Yeah. I think mobs for Liberty is a very specific vibe. And I really appreciate this question because <clears> I feel like this is it's a new way of getting upset about stuff, and it's always exciting when they invent a new one of those. For me, as someone who loves getting upset, I appreciate it. Brenda Warner, I want to single her out briefly as uh, she's the the person that made all of this possible. I don't think that anybody had ever considered like having an opinion on a quarterback's wife beyond like "nice job, Joe Montana" or whatever. Whereas like Brenda she's Warner had a real. Here. Yeah, right. Like just being like getting in the dumbest lizard part of your brain and be like, dude, quarterback got a hot wife. Die like that when that happens. Like in this case, with Brenda Warner, she showed up looking like somebody who at this point would be like laying hands on President Trump at a rally. Like there was a lot of like American flag garments going on. I have not I so I I did um my research in the sense that I just Googled Brock Purdy mom. Sorry about that. Didn't feel great about that. I'm not even yeah. an incognito window either. That's there forever. There's, there's going to be a Google Reddit thread that things. pops up there that you're not going to want to read. Yeah, but it is. She has a, a little bit of a sort of like, there's a way to be conservative. There's a bunch of ways to be conservative politically. Um, I don't necessarily agree with any of them, but aesthetically, some of them jump out at you more than others. She does have some of that going on. I do feel like that, uh, that poll has moved though. And so if it's like looking like somebody who would have been like, I like Sarah Palin's spirit. Plus she's a mom like a few years ago. Like that's not even as crazy as like the people that drove their trucks down to the Rio Grande expecting to find millions of immigrants surging across the river and didn't. <laughs> that they could shoot. Those people are on aesthetic shit that you and I could never comprehend. Yes. Like you wouldn't see it. Not just because I live in a big city and you live in a posh suburb or whatever. It's like it's a different thing. It's like they had wings or whatever. And I think in this case, like I I can get the Moms for Liberty vibes. I also feel, though, that uh Unless she's wearing like a big American flag hat that has like a cowboy hat with an American flag motif that also has hundreds of words written on it, like the fucking Dr. Bronner's bottle, then she's not state of the art in that regard. Yeah, I would also I would need to see what kind of car she drives. So, you know, if she drives mm. like a Mercedes or something. Fine. You drive like the fuck you like F50. You know, F Ford F two fifty like Supermax like Zack Snyder edition yeah. and shit. 
than I know. You know, like yep. Like if the if the grill the truck that Benny drove when he tried to grind up Arnold Schwarzenegger in Total Recall, which is yep. somehow now like the most popular car in America. Yeah, yeah. Like a grill that is like a full story tall. Like you know, like I those then I then I I know who you are. But it is very funny that like every sports baby is now adorable, but every sports parent is like, mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you gotta you have to look at it's funny because like the parents too are like so i have a soft spot for patrick mahomes senior because he was a met uh he played as a twin too he played for a bunch of different teams he got the uh i guess the big scandal of super bowl week so far is that he got a, a dwi you shouldn't do that like it's a you know stupid move but at the same time like he seems like a pretty like the bar for sports parents for me is basically like, do they seem authentically proud of their kids and like they're having a good time? And if the answer is yes, I'm like, go, go with God. That's great. Like Travis Kelsey's mom. Sure. Like whatever. I would vote for her in a house of representatives race in like half the, and I don't even know what she believes. Just seems like a sweet lady. Not sure you want to know. I probably don't, <laughs> but I think there are levels of like, I don't know. There's a lot of different ways to, to sort of be insane right now. Like you probably know the answer to this. I don't. Kirk Cousins' parents. What are we dealing with there? Oh, come on. Come on. I, 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 <laughs> get the fuck out of here. You know. You know. I'm, All right, so there, but is it like truck convoy or is it just like Fox is always on in the background of their house or is it like they're on Facebook 13 hours a day and no one ever knows what the fuck they're talking No, about? I think it's more sort the of levels the, are. the soft MAGA type, you know, like they'll, they'll okay. watch Fox News if they watch Fox News, but otherwise they're going about their business normally. Like I know, I know, yeah. I've, I've encountered Trump voters like that. Like they're not all Facebook uncles anymore because no one's on Facebook anyway. Right. Uh, no one's on Facebook anyway. Uh, let's open up the fun bag. These are real questions from defector readers and distraction listeners. This one's from, this one isn't really a question. This is from Eileen. And she writes in, Jesus Christ, you have at least two listeners in German-speaking countries. I'm in Essen, which is Pittsburgh, but in Germany. And I honestly thought I was having a stroke when the January 25th episode started with, this in Zurich. <laughs> so I found that. I found that. Isn't Essen, that's the German word for eat, right? Uh, yes. So like, Aben Essen is- the town called- Breakfast. Like, it's like literally if the food town family of supermarkets were a real town. That would be awesome. I would want that. Yeah, it would be great. Sean writes in, he says, could an NFL coach read and actually understand Karl Marx? Like if you gave <laughs> if you gave Mike McCarthy one chapter of Das Kapital, do you think he could summarize it? In my opinion, I think offensive coordinators probably could, but not defensive ones. That's a, first of all, would love to know more about that last assertion there. I think there's definitely something to that. I love the idea of Marx pilling, you know, whatever. Uh, a Shanahan like I think that there are coaches that and it seems like this is generally the the movement towards the coaches that are getting hired in the NFL and I can't say whether it's good or bad but if the idea is that there was a story I don't know how sourced this was and if it's uh if it's made up you know we can take it out the report that Mike Vrabel had a hard time at some of his head coaching interviews this offseason because he's too big oh yeah the Diane senior report yeah, that he was just too, he, he he smoked too tough, his neck was too large, like that it was just that people were afraid of of being in a room with him. Right, like if they, I if they he, overruled him, like he would beat them up or something like that. Yes. When I feel like if you gave Mike Vrabel Das Kapital, he would throw it one mile. 
<laughs> and that's just like that's how he works. Whereas I feel like some of the younger, you know, like the visor guys, not to say that like Nick Sirianni is ready to, you know, whatever, like dig deep on the brew mare essay or whatever. But I think that the the rising generation of coaches could maybe do a better job getting through a chapter than, you know, your uh your Tom Cable vintage. Well, like remember the question is if they could understand it, not if they could agree with it. Well, yeah. But I feel like, well, I mean, this is the other thing, too, is that Marx is is pretty dense. I was like, going to say, I've, and I've, I've never read Karl Marx. Like, I'm, Not since college. I've done a little bit. Most of what I read is gone now. It's just been replaced with, like, the different teams that Scott Schoenweiss played for sure. during his major league career. Understandable. That, that's my fault. But... Yeah, like to understand, I mean, I guess this is the sort of thing too. Like, I wouldn't expect very many of them to agree with it. I don't know to what extent, and this is not just an NFL head coach thing, that like if you take the average American truck dad type, do they actually read anything at all in the course of their day to day? And I don't know the answer to that. I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's dad all on it. I mean, we all, we know, I know because. I'm an author. The majority of, of book buyers in America are, of course, not men. It's women. So, um, but I, I do want to say to NFL coaches credit, I don't think there's an NFL coach out there who hasn't quoted or vaguely understood the tenets of both Sun Tzu and Machiavelli. So, Oh, yeah. Sun Tzu. He's great. So anything that is written in that sort of like the great bourgeoisie shall rise against the flame. I don't, I have no fucking idea what Das Capital sounds like. Um, that it might, it might, it might trigger the sort of the motivational poster uh, gland in every NFL coach where they're like, okay. That's a good point. All right. All right. That is like in the same way that like, so we already have seen this year, college football season, like the like masters of parsage bit with Jim Harbaugh, and the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald, where he was able to spin to his players that like to take a a song that is a story about a big boat sinking in a big lake and to have that somehow get translated into having a winning mindset. Yeah. Where the idea of being like the other guys are the boat, we're the lake, superior doesn't give up or dead, who's got it better than us? Nobody, whatever. Like making that work. So if you could do it with that text, Das Kapital is more like sort of analytical if you i think the communist manifesto if you like redacted certain terms or if these guys were able to like sort of skip past the idea of like what is the the borgois or whatever yeah there, there'd be like, some skimming involved yeah but if it's just about if it's the manifesto and it's about like rising up breaking your chains like stopping the people that are oppressing you from oppressing you like I could definitely see that shit hitting with a football coach. Like you just would need to like take some of the signifiers out of it that would otherwise get their backs up. Yeah. And also they could completely interpret it wrong and love it. Like you just yes. illustrated with Harbaugh, like Harbaugh could read Das Capital and be like, gentlemen, this book means it's a doggy dog world out there. <laughs> you better, you better get yours before <laughs> someone else does. Like, you know, like this is it's so fundamentally, I think Karl Marx's main point is be prepared. Yeah. Although, although the question was, could they understand it? Well, they can understand it in their own very special 
way, I would say. Yeah. Steve writes in, Roth, what do you think is the longest you've maintained a single continuous urine stream? I'm confident <laughs> I've peed for over a minute straight, but I feel like 90 seconds is getting into psycho territory. I don't think, I mean, back when I drank, I could. you could take a good long beer piss. 90 seconds seems like pushing it. I'm not sure. Yeah, I feel like 90, I mean, I think at 90 seconds, you would start to notice, even if you were very drunk, you'd be like, I kind of need to like get on with my evening one way or the other. Like two minutes, it's not a, a long period of time, but it's a noticeable period of time. I feel like if you got north of 90, closer to two at that point, like the, you know, from the moment when the NBA announcer says two minutes remaining, if you just start peeing then and then it ends at the final horn, that's depraved to me. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's true. You shouldn't do that. Also, the, your body is is angry at you. the 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 condition that it'd be continuous is a big deal for me because, like, I'm 47, oh, yeah. so I'm at the age where, like, you take a piss and you're in there for five minutes. Like, do I have a prostate issue? Like, you know, like like that sort of thing. So it's not you know continuous is like that's like a that's like a real challenge. Like, I need uh, I need, I need performance enhancing drugs if I'm going to be able to get a continuous urine stream going. You know, so this also might be different because I think you and I not at the healthiest lifestyles in the world, but we're not the unhealthiest either that I feel like it's again, if this comes down to like, did you drink a 64 ounce Dunkin' Donuts culotta? Mm. Then like you could, I, I don't know what happens to your body when you do that. Like if you like, if it makes you piss for the like entire duration of a classic eighties sitcom minus commercials, I don't know that that's like impossible. I think that that would be a normal way for a body to respond to that. By the way, I have to shout out, uh, are you like me, Roth? Did you listen to Adam Sandler's debut album 5,000 times when you were a teenager? Yes. And yeah. the longest pee sketch? Yeah, okay. this is all kind of ringing some bells. Yep. That's yep. okay. weird to think of Adam Sandler as a formative figure. Uh, and I don't know that I necessarily like could see that much in the way of influence in terms of like what I think was funny, like what I think is funny now. It's a funny but album, I definitely though. thought that shit was funny then. I'm coming out of the boo. <laughs> yeah, it was, but it was basically just making silly noises. That's what I, I mean, not like I've completely moved on from that, uh, but like I still laugh every time you say we're back. So I'm, clearly there's still that part of my brain is working. It's just, uh, yeah. Let's do the last question is from Isaac. He writes in, do you think professional athletes take into consideration the team name and mascot during free agency, putting aside the actual pros and cons of any organization, facilities, coaching, location, etc. How much does the name of the team they play for factor in? Oh, do I really want to be a blue jacket? Tell my agent it'll cost them more. Do you think they care about that thing? I want to believe. I mean, I think there's definitely the idea of just being like, well, I'm a brown. It's like, that's not, you know, <laughs> that's not like a great feeling probably, but I guess if they gave you like $50 million, you're like, yeah, man, I'm, I'm brown. My, I bleed brown. Yeah. It might like, be like an all things, all things being equal sort of thing. But otherwise, like, I'll give you an example. Like we just talked about my daughter going to college. Like, let's say she, she got into Duke, right? This, she didn't, she didn't apply to Duke, but if she got into Duke and she, if she got into Duke, I'd be like, Oh my God, she got into Duke. Wow, that's fucking great. And I fucking hate Duke, right? Like, I'm yep. like, ah, uh, but like, I'm no dummy. Like, I'm like, okay, uh, I know what's, I know it's beneficial. So let's uh, go Blue Devils or whatever the fuck. So, well, yeah, would you have been, but like during that application process, you wouldn't have, I guess you probably wouldn't have. No. I, as somebody who doesn't have kids, it's easy for me to be like, are you sure about that? Like, you want to like, 
the whole because you know their vibe, right? Like, and that's maybe not uh, the way that a responsible parent would behave. No, I mean, like, I know people who go on to like Notre Dame and Ohio State, and I'm not like, I'm not like, oh, I'll never talk to you again. I don't like you. Like, you know, it's like, okay, yeah. all right, you went there. Like, it's that's a that's a uh, that's a viable educational facility. Ohio State a little less so, but still, you know what I mean? But that's something that I've always been surprised that people are like serious with that. And maybe this is like having gone to a division three school or whatever that Ohio State and Michigan people are not joking with that. And I always assume that they're just kind of like giving each other shit. And I'm like, oh, that's terrific. You know, that this is just a way of, uh, you know, having fun with the narcissism of small differences that defines every aspect of our culture. But it's not that like Michigan people will be really snobby to Ohio State people and Ohio State people will be really insane towards Michigan people and like aggro and all that. And I and they're not that different state. Like they're really. not different at they're all. The <laughs> they're like like one of them. Had, like this is the part that I kind of find amusing about that. But again, it's you know, it's only amusing in the abstract, like in the actual concrete sense. It's just people kind of being weird and wary and not actually goofing around with each other. I think it's important uh, just in general uh, to bring back giving people shit in a healthy, not aggressive way as like a way of talking to people. I know that that's not like, you know, the same aspect of like, that's like 70% of what I grew up with because of the region that I grew up in and the culture I grew up right, in. I know right. it's not like that everywhere. It's a I just feel thing. like that's like a good way for people to interact. Yeah, I think that in some ways, because of social media, because of the internet, people have unlearned that because mm-hmm. shit talking escalates so quickly online. It's just like, ah, your team sucks. Fuck you, I'm going to come kill you. Go to your house. Right. Like, it's like It's like people don't, you don't have to sort of, you don't have to worry about crossing the line because the person's an anonymous person who lives a thousand miles away or whatever. You don't give a fuck, you know? It's what makes it funny when people can't like sort of recognize that boundary. It's why to me, like I think one of the great moments in the history of the internet was the guy driving to Temecula to get in a fight with another guy about the Lakers. That was cool. Like you simply cannot beat that. (laughs) And not just because of it's just Beyond the fact that that's a very funny town to have to drive to and that the guy drove like an hour and 40 minutes. It's just it's such a good category error. Like it's it's the same way that when people got mad about like Larry David choking the Elmo puppet on TV recently. And they it it sort of became clear that there's a lot of people out there that think that Elmo's a real guy. It's real. Or that he was somehow that he was hurt by. He taught me a lot of valuable lessons. I'm not going to say anything bad, but Elmo, obviously friend of the show. Uh, defector accomplice level subscriber that's a thousand dollars a year <laughs> uh <laughs> but there is I, I just feel like there's people need to recognize these boundaries more clearly and then in real life uh you know recognize that none of it really matters that much i think that's a good way to uh to end the super bowl podcast and also go fuck yourself yeah eric Sil- go fuck yourself Drew. eric silver is our producer brandon google is our editor our theme song is by kirk hamilton ads and production services are by multitude and you can subscribe to Defector.com right now. There's no better mm. time. You just go to Defector.com and you hit that subscribe button. You can also email us at distraction at Defector.com or even call us as our voicemailers did this week at 909-726-3720 and leave a message. That's 909-Panera0. One day Panera will get mad at us for that, but not today, Roth. Enjoy the That's Super Bowl. Right. Okay, you enjoy it too. Bye. Bye.